This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, and I invite you to turn there. Starting in verse 7, reading through verse 12, we will be talking about predominantly this idea of ask, seek, and knock, and how it connects to this thing we call the golden rule. In my study this week, I found and came across an interesting article, and it was talking about a survey that was done to children's ministry. And for those of you that don't know, I am the family ministry's pastor, so I try to kind of stay up to beat on what's going on in that area. But I came across this really funny article, and it was talking about a, a series of questions that children asked in Sunday school. So children were asked to write a letter to God of one sentence. And I'm going to read some of those because I thought they were appropriate for this morning. Dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that or was it an accident? Dear God, who draws the lines around countries? Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in the church. Is that okay? Thank you for my baby brother, but what I really wanted was a puppy. Please send me a pony. I never asked for anything before. You can look it up. I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, just not as hairy. Dear God, you don't have to worry about me. I always look both ways. God, I think the stapler is one of your greatest inventions. Amen. Love a stapler. Of all the people who have worked for you, I liked Noah and David the best. Dear God, I thank you sometimes even when I'm not praying. As we begin our passage this morning, there are questions and there are answers to be had. The word of the Lord begins ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will he not give him a snake Will he? If then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want to, them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. The theologian, a Puritan by the name of John Knox, said this. I never once feared the devil, 
but I tremble every time I step behind the pulpit. Because what we have before us is a great task. I stand before you and I'm laying forth what I believe to be an accurate proposition of what the Word of God is telling us this morning. Matt does this week in and week out, and I am so thankful for his leadership and his approach to Scripture. But I beg you this morning, we are going to live in the text. I do not want to speak this morning. I want God's Word to speak this morning. And if we are not careful, we can look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we are going through, Matthew 5 through 7. And we can kind of make them a bit disjointed. But these are not pithy sayings like you'd find from like Sung Tzu. There is a logic and a connection between each of these objects. And to understand what they're driving at, we have to understand the context. I tell this to my students on Tuesday night. Without context, you have nothing. If you take the text out of its context, all you are left with is a con. You're conning yourself, and Lord help you, you are conning those around you. So as we begin, I want to remind us that the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the mourners, the gentle, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. And I would argue and contend that throughout the rest and remainder of the Sermon on the Mount, they are woven in there. That you can take each section of the Sermon on the Mount and you can find one or more applications back to the Beatitudes. I do not think Jesus was just shotgun shelling his way through this sermon. I believe that he was intentional with his words. So to see the passage before, we see that last week Pastor Matt preached on do not judge. But not judgment in the sense that we think of uh, the world misusing that verse. But in the sense, in the context that we do not judge others to condemnation, that spot is reserved for Christ and Christ alone. But he also brought from the text, and I think very accurately so, that we are called to judge with discernment. Are we not? That passage when it says, do not look to the speck in your brother's eye, lest you first remove the log in your own. It wasn't saying never, look at the speck it was saying first deal with your own issues and then help them along and then he talks about casting what is holy before dogs i think that's very important for our task this morning because i want to pose a question what are we asking for so here's what i think this text is telling us We'd like to stop at the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Be kind to others so they will be kind to you. But there's more to it than that. In fact, here's my argument. 
in response to God's gracious goodness, treat others as you would want to be treated. There is a before that connects to the after. And so we're going to talk about the before. And that is the goodness of God is on display through his faithfulness. He begins, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. But then he transitions. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. He who knocks, it will be opened. This is what we call a traditional Semitic parallelism. He's saying the same thing and taking it to that next level. Ask, it will be given. Future tense. Seek, you will find. Future tense. Knock, it will be opened. Future tense. For everyone who asks, receives. Past tense. Ooh, did you catch that transition? Everyone who seeks will find, and everyone who knocks, it will be opened. He changes from a future to a past tense. But why does he do that? Well, some people, some theologians would argue that what what Jesus is driving at is looking beyond ourselves. What Jesus is driving at, what he's looking to is that you are asking externally of yourself you are seeking outside of yourself you are knocking for something other than yourself how many of you guys have ever played hide and seek how many of you guys have ever played hide and seek by yourself it doesn't make any sense i'm not hiding from myself and to seek myself i just have to go oh there i am so there's one argument Another proposition is that he's referring to the previous chapter in, in chapter 6 where he talks about the sermon or uh, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Right? He gives them an example of how to pray and so they're tying it to connecting it to that, asking, seeking, and knocking to the Lord's Prayer. And there's some good value in understanding that that's where that connects a little bit. But I don't think that's a complete picture. I think that's part of one. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's missing a little bit something, isn't it? Because where in this passage does Jesus talk about praying? For that matter, where in this passage does he talk about what we are asking for? For what are we asking? What are we seeking? And what are we knocking? That's the question we have to answer because if we do not answer that question, we are left with this weird ambiguity. I don't like that. I don't like not knowing. There's a reason why I'm a programmer by day because I have to know the whys. Don't just tell me what. Tell me why. I want to know why. But we can see that in light of God's goodness, we can have assurance that when we seek and ask and knock that God will answer. This repetition of ask, seek, knock. It comes with this confident assurance, does it not? We can see that. 
If you ask, you receive. If you seek, you find. If you knock, it's opened. But he takes it one step further. He kind of draws this parallel between broken, sinful man and how they love their children and uses that as a litmus test. If you're a good father, your kid asks for lunch, you don't give him rotten weeds. Right? Your kid's winter coat breaks, you don't buy him swimming trunks. There are needs that must be met, and God is saying, even you who are evil of heart, love your children enough that when they need something that sustains them, you will provide. How much more will God? But I'm going to stop. I'm going to back up just a second. When we talk about asking, I think there's clarity in the text, in the word itself, and how it's used in the, uh, in the New Testament Greek. The word that's used there is not just like asking. Hey, Bob, can I have a million dollars? Yeah. I'm never going to get that million dollars. Right? <laughs> oh, that's true. It's a good point. Good qualifier. Right? Hey, Aaron, can I have a Ferrari? No. Yeah, I can ask all I want. I'm not going to guarantee that I'm going to get that. Hey, Mitch, can I have your sweet handgun that we used the other day? No? Okay, cool. So I'm asking amiss because I'm asking for things that it's not realistic. But let me tell you something about that Greek word, ask. That word, ask, in the original language tells us you can ask with an absolute definitive confidence that it will be answered. So we talk about ask and it will be given. What he's saying is what you are asking for will be given. Cool. God, I want a million dollars. I want a Ferrari and I want a handgun like Mitch's. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Because I don't have a million dollars. But if the word tells me I can have confidence that it will be there, and I don't have a million dollars, what am I missing? What text, what context am I missing that allows me to say that that's not what God is getting at? Well, we can see it in the Lord's Prayer. Chapter 6, verse 11 says, Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who forgive us. Or uh, our debtors, sorry. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These are things of spiritual significance and importance. And ironically, in the original language, that's exactly what it's talking about. It is a request made to a divine God who will confidently provide those needs, no questions asked. So when we catch this word in its right context, we see this isn't some whimsical desire of mine, but this is a desire that aligns very closely to the will of God. But then what do we, what do we understand about this word seek? 
we think about it and we think of hide and seek I implanted that in your brain intentionally because we are trying to find something that has been hidden from us are we not we play hide and seek I'm going to go hide someplace great and you'll never find me there's an intentionality of trying to hide and that seeking is fervently trying to find that which has been hidden but that's not what it's talking about in the original text he's not talking about seeking something that you have lost it's seeking something you've never had and if we carry over the spiritual significance of asking then seeking becomes much more obvious what that is it is salvation through Christ Jesus alone so we seek after God we ask him knowing that he is faithful to provide that he's willing to provide but what does it mean when we talk about knocking the word could probably be used um, the NIV translation as a best uh, understanding of that word because in its context without all of scripture that word for knock is always associated with a door there's always a knocking at the door and there's always this expectation of being let in to some place and so we knock at the door but what door to what door are we knocking? Well, the knocking can be taken in a couple of different ways. And I think both of them go hand in hand, so I'm going to take and give you both of them. The first one is knocking at the door of salvation. Salvation was asked for. Salvation was sought And there's a confidence that when you knock at the door, it will be open, that that door is salvation but I think it also begs this idea and understanding of relationship right standing before God a right relationship that you are no longer on the outside but you are now in the family you are now adopted joint heirs with Jesus as the Bible tells us so we can see that the ask seek and knock holds not only this temporal idea as we see in the lord's prayer but a deeper more spiritual meaning rooted in our salvation and we know that when we seek we seek his kingdom his righteousness matthew six thirty three says it best but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you and if you've gone to children's church for any length of time, you really want to go, Alleluia, Alleluia. Right? Just me? Cool. So we ask, we seek, we knock. But as we do, we have to recognize that these are present active imperatives. And you're like, Bruce, what does that matter who cares man i'm so glad you asked you are an astute audience this morning well i'll break it down for you 
Present means that's now. We all took English. Active means that it's currently going on. There is no stop to it. An imperative, that's the one you probably don't know, because I didn't know until I took seminary. That means it's a command. So these are not just things that are suggestions. These are not mere nice ideas. These are commands of Jesus. You must ask. You must seek. And you must knock. These imperatives can also be an invitation. Yes, they are commands, but they are also an invitation. Jesus is showing you explicitly how to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He is offering a path to salvation. And listen to me when I say this. He's offering a way to heaven. Because heaven is reserved for sinners. But a very particular type. Repentant ones. Ones who ask of God, knowing that in themselves they cannot do it. Those who seek God, knowing that they have no power within themselves towards salvation. And those who knock. I'm reminded of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector who went to pray. And the Pharisee was like doing everything right. If you read that passage in context, the prayer he prayed, we like to say he was being kind of a jerk, but he wasn't. He was praying a holy prayer. It was a traditional prayer. It was a common prayer to be heard at the temple. Even that part where he goes, thank you, Lord, for not making me like that guy. That's a common thing in the Old Testament prayer. What of the tax collector? Even unwilling to raise his eyes, he beat on his chest and cried with a loud voice, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Now the moral of that story and the point of that story is not that the Pharisee was a bad guy and the tax collector was a good guy. And I need to make sure I capture this for you this morning. They are both bad guys. The moral of that story is that it's Christ who justifies and look to Christ for justification. So we can see in this passage God's goodness because of who He is. But we can also see God's goodness in comparison to the goodness of evil men. And we touched that on that a little bit. And I'll make this one a little bit quicker. He looks at them and says, Or what man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf of bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will not give him a snake? If you then, being evil, how much, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? We could spend a lot of time talking about the imagery of the stone and the bread and the fish and the snake. Um, I don't want to this morning. I encourage you if you want to. It's great reads. Uh, there's a lot of good ideas and thoughts. But I really want to stick to the text. 
I don't want to pontificate things that I don't understand completely because it doesn't make any sense. It could be either of those things. Any of those things could be true. But here's what I know is definitively true. What is bread? It's food. What is fish? It's food. And right here, right now, we can definitively say that God has commanded us to be loving of the bread and liking of the protein. No? Okay. I'll enjoy. I love bread, and it shows. Here's the point. The connection between the bread and the stone. Again, this is parallelism. He's drawing this imagery and driving it home to a deeper level. So let's start with the bread and the stone. Bread is sustenance. Bread gives us energy. It lets us live. Without food, we die. So to give somebody a stone that has no sustenance whatsoever is inappropriate. I would never give my kids, when they ask for blue box macaroni and cheese, well, I might give them a Twinkie, but I wouldn't give them something terrible. Like a rock. Let's use the same example Jesus gave. But then with the fish and the snake, there are a great number of snakes in this world that are venomous. So you could speculate for a moment that what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is driving at, is not only do you not give something that doesn't provide sustenance, you also don't give something that would harm them. If your kid asks for video game time, and they are hypothetically 14 years old, you don't give them MA games. If your kid comes to you and says, I really want alcohol, your response should be, not in this house. We don't, as good and evil parents, give things that would cause our kids harm. I don't give my kids free reign over my power tools. Now, I did when I was a kid, but that's different. I actually like my kids. That was a funny joke. Go and laugh. It's okay. Yeah. The point is this. Even us being evil, we provide our families with sustenance. We provide the stuff that nourishes their bodies. And we don't give them things that do not nourish them. And we take and make definitive stands on things that will hurt them. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to owe my kids money because I've adopted this policy that Matt does. I'm going to tell a story on Eli because he's not here. So when Eli was about two years old, man, he used to climb up the steps with his Buzz Lightyear plastic wing set and he would, in his best pronunciation, yell, Infinity Beyond and jump and he would do that too much so I would try to catch him 
because I don't want him to fall. I don't want him to hurt himself. I want to protect him. I want to protect all of my kids. So one day, I was at work, and Shannon was home, and she videotaped this, and I love it. We have it on video. It's fantastic. It's blackmail for future. He does that. He gets that Buzz Lightyear wingspan on, climbs up one step, turns and looks at mama, climbs up a second step, turns and looks at mama, climbs up a third final step, looks at mama, and Shannon goes, no, that's too much. And he goes, mush. And he steps down one and goes, finity beyond, and jumps. We took and set a boundary in his life because we love him. If I love my child so much that I'm willing to set boundaries to protect him, how much more so does God set boundaries upon us to protect us? What he's arguing for is that the spiritual sustenance that you need is salvation only offered through God. It is not something you can find in yourself. I'm going to say this and cause a stir, but self-help books will not help you because self is broken. How can you help yourself when you are broken? And we are taking advice from other, dare I say, broken people. I do not go to a person who is a million dollars in debt and ask them for financial advice. That is stupid. What I do instead is I look to the one and strive to be faithful with what he has prescribed in his scriptures. This is our gold standard, ladies and gentlemen. And here what Jesus is saying is that you cannot find the answer to your question internally you must ask you cannot seek and find yourself you must seek something outside of yourself you must knock and it will be opened salvation waits for each of us all we must do is ask seek and knock and through that I'm going to quote to you a guy by the name of John Broaddus because I love this quote. Because we can connect this idea and concept to prayer, even though it's not just limited to that, I think it's important for us to recognize this. Broaddus said this, crying out to God culminated in the concept of prayer through asking, seeking, and knocking. One may truly uh, be an industrious man and yet poor in temporal things, but one cannot be truly a praying man and yet be poor in spiritual things. We seek, we ask, we knock on the one who is able to do all things, but we do the knowing he is a good father. We know that God is a good father. And now that we've kind of beat this dead horse, I want to amend the golden rule. It should not be do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It should be in light of God's goodness and mercy 
let us do to others so that he may be glorified. Verse 12, and everything, therefore, treat people in the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Two things I want to point out, maybe three. The first thing is this. We can treat people with love and respect as we would like to be treated only by the power of God. Now let me, let me explain what I mean by this. I work with this person who drives me nuts. It would be one of those situations where I would borderline dislike and detest them. They have no work ethic. They are whiny. They complain about everything. I ask them to do one simple thing, and I have to map it out, line by line, what they have to do to get the thing accomplished. They have a master's in computer science. I shouldn't have to babysit. But I strive to honor Christ by treating them with the respect that I would want to be treated. Hoping not to win their favor because if I'm honest, I do not care. But hoping to win them over for Christ. Hoping that by my modeling this, I can point back to Christ and say, you know what? Yeah, there's lots of things you need, but the number one thing you need is Jesus and a good work ethic. But Jesus, right? We look and act the way we do because Christ has done for us. It's easy to love somebody and be kind to somebody who is kind initially in return. It's a lot tougher when they're a duty hit. It's a lot tougher when you don't share the same political ideology. It's a lot tougher when they are so pro-abortion it makes you physically sick. But those are opportunities where we can, in obedience, put God's goodness on display. I have this t-shirt at home and I meant to wear it but I couldn't find it and it just simply says faith over feelings. God has called us to something greater and it is greater than our feelings. The second thing I want to point out is the reason why I'm connecting these two so closely together is because of the phrase therefore. And if you've ever sat in Sunday school long enough you know that when you see a therefore you must stop and look and see what it is there Four. In language, it is an indicator that there's been an argument made, and in response to the argument, this is how you respond. The argument has been made. God is a good and gracious Father who offers us even more abundantly than we deserve. Therefore, treat others the way you would have 
them treat you. As we conclude this morning, I feel like it's important for us to really latch on to this idea and concept that's being communicated. There is something in the text that's calling us to respond. Friend, if you are hearing this message this morning, please hear me. Please know that if you have not put faith and trust in Jesus Christ, let today be that day. Know that apart from Christ, you stand condemned. That your sin, even the smallest and slightest by your standards and measure, is enough to tarnish a holy God. Nope. To be stand tarnished before a holy God. Whew. This is heresy 101. My apologies. One little thing. Yeah, yeah, murder, lying, stealing, cheating. Sassing your mom as a child is enough to separate you from a holy God. And you stand separated because of your own sin. But Christ stands there and says, Look, ask, and it will be given. Seek me, and you will find. Knock at the door and you will be brought into right relationship with me. It's as simple as that. The Lord freely forgives. Brothers and sisters, if you are here this morning in response to the goodness of God, in response to His mercy and His compassion, and in response to Him opening that door, for you can we take a charge this very day to put God's glory and goodness on display by loving those around us by intentionally doing the things that we would have people do for us do it for them not that they will do it in turn but that God's glory might be on display through you that the same forgiveness that you have partaken of can be on display, that you act different, that you are not the same, that you are forever changed, that Christ has grabbed hold of your heart. Let today be that day, that, that today be that commitment time for us. Let us not love just in word and tongue, but in action and in truth. The truth being what we see in scriptures today. Let us, by the glory and the majesty of God our Father, walk in obedience and love those around us. I want to conclude with a quote from my absolute all-time favorite theologian. And some advice I got when I started uh, seminary was never quote a living person because they can always change their mind. Now I do, on occasion, I quote living people. But um, for the most part, I try to stick with the dead people because I know where they stand, or better yet, where they lay. Charles Spurgeon said this. Hear me. Sin is no barrier. Thy guilt 
No obstacle. Whosoever, though he were black as Satan, though he were filthy as a fiend, whosoever this day believes shall have every sin forgiven. Shall have every crime effaced. Shall have every iniquity blotted out. Shall be saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. And shall stand in heaven safe and secure. This is the glorious gospel. God, apply it home to our hearts. And give us faith in Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, as we come before you, when we reflect on your goodness, your majesty, that you are a good Father, that we can boldly come to you and we can ask and we can seek and we can knock. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of the salvation of the one who needs it, who is far from you. Draw them near. By the power of your Holy Spirit, convict their hearts as we pray right now. And for those of us who are, Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ, and united with you, Lord, convict our hearts even now. Let us live a life worthy of glorifying you for your goodness and your graciousness towards us. Let us be that example to others Let us lift high the name of Jesus Christ by loving those who are far from you. It's in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. Amen.